Hello and welcome to another Thoughtful Christianity podcast. I'm Josh, and with me today and every day is Jay Broom. What's going on? Jay, how have you been doing? I feel like you always ask me, and then you don't really get to say anything. So how are you doing? Well, you know, despite the dreary weather outside, um, it's always a delight to get to chit-chat with you. Um, I think we're both somewhat excited for today's show. Oh, definitely. So... Yeah, I can't complain. Yeah. Are you back at work yet? Yeah, we telework one day a week and then the rest of the week we're business as usual. So Yeah. And you're you're like in classes, right? Yeah, a lot of a lot of studying at the moment. Getting yeah, paid to learn. So keeping that brain sharp, right? Something like that. <laughs> All right, Jay, what are we talking about today? Today uh, we're actually kicking off a bit of a series. A series? Yeah. <gasps> Don't sound so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we're doing the five solas, right, mm-hmm. uh, of the Reformation. So we're going to start today with the, maybe the foundational one, uh, Sola Scriptura, which means scripture alone. Jay, I don't think you know this, but no series has thrived on Wreck and Righteous because I get bored usually midway through. Um, except for we did one on prayer that actually lasted like two months. But beyond that, I have tried and failed. But don't worry. But belay that those fears. I feel like we can do five of them and it's going to be fun to talk through them with you. Uh, yeah, you've got an accountability partner now. so <laughs> That is right. Absolutely. Get yourself an accountability partner, folks. Um, so yeah, like Jay said, we're going to talk about the solas. Um, it's interesting because if you, if you have heard of them before, I feel like you, you think of them as like that very foundational, like, oh, of course I know about it. But if you've never heard about it, like what in the world is that? What the heck is a Like it's very, yeah, what's a sola? Uh, and so I feel like Jay, as we start this series, let's just take a moment apart from the topic of today, which like you said, is Sola Scriptura. Uh, and let's talk about the five solas in general. Sure. So first off, what does sola mean? What is, what are the five solas? They are five Latin phrases that are summaries perhaps or in in and of themselves essential doctrines and they stemmed from the time of the reformation mostly in response like the reformation itself uh to the overstepping of the catholic church Mm. yeah so even more basic jay what does sola mean it means essentially alone yeah so we got I'm going to just do the English is scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone. um, And to the glory of God alone. To the glory of God alone. I was worried. I was counting three for some reason. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's it. Uh, And so they're all alone. And I would just add that for you, you history nuts or those who don't know the history, this is not something that like Martin Luther, Ulrich Zwingli, or John Calvin, who was a little bit later, or Bullinger, or any of the reformers. This isn't something they came up with themselves. They didn't even categorize their own thoughts this way. This is us. This is actually, it's not modern, but it's not from their era. I think 
I think that we can trace this back to 100 or so years later, but it's somebody looking back on all of the reformers and saying, this is really the core of their doctrine. This is what they did. So you won't see Luther using the term sola scriptura, but you will see Luther defending that, right, all over. Um, and so it's it's almost surprising. They're, it, for it not being original to them, it's incredibly accurate to what the reformers stood for. Uh, so with that, uh, Jay, I think we need to go ahead and dive more into history and talk about our topic today. How, what is Sola Scriptura? Uh, and actually, Jay, I think a more important question that we can chew on for a little bit is what, what is the question which has the answer, Scripture alone? Because the, the problem with some of these solas is that you have Christ alone. And it's like, as opposed to what? Scripture alone. As opposed to what? So uh, help, us, help me out here, Jay. W- what is sola scripture really the answer to? It answers the question of what is the ultimate authority of our, of our lives, of our world, of our faith. Yeah. Uh, we have seen, again, I think most people would say like, oh, of course, like the Bible. But I think we're also biased because of our Protestant upbringing that we perhaps see this to be such a fundamental or understood doctrine. But again, it stems from the the tradition of the Catholic Church that in the time of the Reformation particularly had kind of rubbed Martin Luther in particular, right? The the original reformer. Um, the OG. <laughs> Uh, rubbed him the wrong way because there were systems of indulgences and some works-based salvation in there. Um, I can confess not to be the the most uh, astute historian in this regard, but fundamentally, it is scripture alone as an authority for the faith, for life in general, I suppose. Yeah, I actually really like the term arbiter. I know it's a little bit more archaic, but I feel like it's so much... It's so clear. Like, I think what Sola Scripture is getting at is who's, who is not judged because they are the final judge, right? So Scripture doesn't get judged. It judges you. Like, the, the church doesn't judge what is Scripture. We're going to get into that later. But the Scriptures judge what the church is. Like, it. it's one of the – what's that – old like meme joke about russia like in russia in mother russia blank blanks you like that is that's what essentially scripture alone was an answer to the catholic church like in this world scripture judges and interprets you not the other way around um and so it, it is it's actually a really big blow to the church because jay uh we got infallible popes i don't know if you knew that but the guy in the Vatican, according to him and according to the Catholic Church, he's not just a guy in the Vatican, but he's infallible. Um, but I think what's really important to understand about this is that they're the primarily 
the view was that the Pope can interpret scripture, that the councils interpret scripture and that tradition, church tradition, that word's really important. That's interpreting scripture. So what's in, what's infallible is in what's inerrant and inspired is the word, but you have to interpret the word. So what did God do according to the Catholics? Well, he gave the Pope and the Pope is the is the one who has an infallible interpretation of scripture, as well as the oral history, the tradition teaches us the infallible, infallibly what the scriptures mean. Uh, and Jay, I, I wonder, have you, I don't know if you saw, but did you see when the Pope recently changed the words of scripture? I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm familiar, but. Uh, last year, the Pope de- de- determined that against the Greek reading of the text or any of the readings of the text, that the Lord's Prayer should not end with uh, and lead us not into temptation, but instead it should end with uh, don't let us go into temptation or something similar. It's hard to translate from the Italian, but he, as the final arbiter of Scripture, determined that that is not how we should read the text, even though the Greek, the English, the Latin... All of our fun witnesses determined that it is. Uh, and so this is really happening today. And so, okay, we got kind of the Catholic belief, which is that scripture's authoritative, but it's also on par with the popes and it's on par with the councils and it's on par with tradition. So we got a lot of things that are, the church is as infallible as the word. So Luther came along with his message, which was sola scriptura, right? Which We're is scripture alone. Uh, you might remember the very famous saying of Luther, which he gave the Diet of Worms. And, and Jay, I know you know this, but I just love saying it. So I'm going to say it again and again. He said in front of many Catholics, and I don't, let's see, it's the Diet of Worms. I'm not sure if this is the one where, um, the, the Holy Roman Emperor was present, but he certainly was just as bold when he was with him was, he says, Unless I am convicted by the scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. Good point. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here it is, the famous Luther stand. Here I stand. I can do no other. God have mercy on me. Amen. That was his speech. I mean, that was part of his speech. Actually, I think yeah. it was the introduction to his speech. But if you're trying to, as a listener, capture what Sola Scriptura is, this is what it is, as is, is Luther lays it out. Unless I'm convicted by Scripture, then I will not submit to things contrary to Scripture. I will never recant. I will stand firm because I have interpreted and seen in scripture these truths. And that's, and that's it. What are you saying? I was just going to say that like, and that just stems from having what maybe some people call a high view of scripture yeah. and taking it seriously when you say that it's the word of God. Yeah. And, and not just some old book that, we've had for a long time and a lot of people historically have agreed with, but actually believing that, Hey, the all knowing sovereign eternal God, like this is his word. Like 
he this is how he has revealed himself to us. This is how yeah. we learn about him. This is how we understand our relationship to him and how he has made a way for us back into his good graces. Yeah. Uh, Romans 1 16, right? Yes. I'm so, not ashamed the gospel. It's God's power to save. Yeah. So when we talk about its authority, again, it's not because uh, of things that have been proven historically necessarily, right? Like it's not, we don't base ourselves on the precedent of what we've done in the past or the way we've always done things. Even yeah. though we can, again, there are uh, instances where you can find the the contradiction perhaps of different popes. But Yeah, which by the way, it's very easy. It's a Google search. And if you're a Protestant, it's really important that you look that up. If you're a Catholic, it's really important that you look that up. It, it really is one of the major wrenches in the whole system. Uh, it's just contradiction. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to note that if we do have any Catholic listeners out there, uh, it's not our intention to be intentionally antagonistic, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, we want to promote truth, and we believe that it's the only way which we can conduct ourselves, right? It is the yeah. most loving thing we can do to say these things. Uh, and again, I don't think it's either of our intentions to be laughing or joking or no. pointing out how, oh, you guys are so stupid because you believe this. Not what we're, not what we're yeah. aiming for. But um, again, we would hope yeah. that this might be benefit someone like that. And, and Luther even says something very similar is that it's not him attacking the church. Actually, by the way, Luther maintained till his death that he never left the Catholic church. The Catholic church left him. He didn't split. He was excommunicated and he felt that that was a very important thing. Um, but Luther even says like, man, I was passive. Like it wasn't my arrogance or ego that took on the Catholic church. Another quote from him, because his quotes are either the most like crazy bonkers stuff or the most poignant, crystalline, like, beautiful words. And luckily this is in the latter. Um, he says, from the beginning of my reformation, I have asked God to send me neither dreams nor visions nor angels, but to give me the right understanding of his word, the holy scriptures. For as long as I have God's word, I know that I am walking in his way and that I shall not fall into any error or delusion. And in another place, uh, one of my favorite quotes from him is, and I don't have it written down, so it's not going to be exact, is he said, while I was drinking in the bar with my friend Philip, <laughs> the word was doing its work. I did nothing. The word did everything. So that's the testimony of a man who felt that in the Reformation, it was he was passive. He just said, I stood on the, on the word and the word did everything. Uh, and so, I mean, we have this portrait of Luther where for all of his faults, and we'll admit he has faults, quite se severe ones in some cases, he really did beautifully represent Sola Scriptura. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God have mercy on me. So Jay, I think that I have a, I have a question for you. Uh, it's not. Uh oh. Yeah, I I'm just interested because what was your first impression of Sola Scriptura? I, I know we've done a little bit of research now, but like, where what was your initial impression? Even if it was really like vague. Yeah, when we were 
talking about this, I did think that we were going to, I, I was almost hesitant. I was like, oh, are we just going to rehash out the first podcast we ever did where we talked about yeah. the Bible and why we believe it is what it said it, what it, it, it is, what it says it is. Yeah. If that makes any sense. And again, just scripture alone, like that's the only thing we use. Like that's like our, our sole authority type of thing. But yeah. Um, yeah. So again, I thought it was very kind of one dimensional. And as I've dug in a little bit more, uh, it, it has been interesting to learn some more nuance to it. Again, yeah. uh, it's a position that is by many wrong. Uh, we, we're discussing this before we got on to record how when you Google Sola Scriptura, a lot of what your Google hits are, are refutations mm-hmm. from Absolutely. people affiliated with the Catholic Church uh, and otherwise. So, Atheist. yeah. And so, again, I, I, that, I, that kind of st- struck me, right? The fact that this yeah. is something that, again, within my own little, my own little bubble, right? Like this is not not even up for debate right yeah but it's just taken for granted in the world stage at large it is controversial right it's something yeah, that many, many would disagree with so i thought man that, that kind of invigorated some some of my research yeah okay i have another question uh but we were talking about i was talking about luther but i feel like there have been many men that i can think of and women uh that have just embodied this in their lives. Is there anyone that immediately comes to mind for you? I was listening to Stephen Lawson. I was going to say it at the same time, but I was worried I'd be wrong, but I wasn't. Talking about this topic, uh, I think it was at one of the, one of like the Grace to You conferences or Shepherds Conference they put on. Um, but he was recounting just, he was kind of walking through the, first chapter if that's the right terminology for the westminster confession of faith and how the the men and had gotten together for that and spent like thousands 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 mm. of, thousands of meetings to like hash through it all and work through it and he specifically also mentioned like john owen was someone Oof. that was a particular adherent perhaps yeah i mean i even think of steve lawson himself yeah, uh, the bring the book guy, right? He he's very passionate about the word and the word alone. Um, yeah, I think that John Owen's great a- answer, but man, Steve Lawson has always impressed me that way. John MacArthur too, especially how his stand upon scripture m- making very many people uncomfortable reminds me a lot of Luther. Uh, MacArthur makes people uncomfortable because of his stand for scripture. Uh, Jay, why don't we move on a little bit? So yeah, we've been talking a lot. Where is this in the Bible? Yeah. And that's one interesting thing is we're talking about Catholic refutations. One of the big ones, ones I saw across, I, I looked at, I think four or five different sources that were refutations just for intrigue's sake, not for really even research. Every single one of them, at least once, one of them mentioned it, I think three times, said, how ironic that sola scriptura is not in scriptura. So where in the world do we turn? Um, I think that's a valid question. Do you have any thoughts? Well, I was going to say that 
perhaps an objection for some might be, well, how are you going to go to the Bible? Mm. Because isn't that what we're arguing about? And again, we hold it. It's our ultimate standard. And I think we're going to unpack this a little bit more. So I don't want to spoil too much. But even the fact that we're, one, I hope it shows that our true belief and what we're saying, that we go to the Bible to convince us that the Bible is all we need. Yeah. But again, for many, they might even argue with the fact that we're doing that. Well, it's that this is a fun phrase, circular reasoning. But again, mm. I think we're going to get a little bit into this more. And so I don't want to, you know, uh, use all my ammunition here. That was a teaser trailer. Stay tuned to see more. Uh, may I contribute a passage? I would say Matthew 15 begins with Jesus's account. Um, the account of Jesus addressing uh, the Jews. And so here, let me pull it up on my, my Bible app because I'm a, I'm a cool pastor. So I, I'm actually not even a pastor. I'm just a cool guy, cool Christian, right? So I have edgy. Edgy, yeah, that's right. Uh, that was actually just me buying time to look it up and I did. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, Matthew 15, 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Uh, coronavirus, this is this is for you. Why do they not wash their hands while they eat? Uh, he answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded it, uh, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For me, that is incredibly convicting on a personal level, but even more so, it is convincing for me that that solo scripture is deeply rooted in Jesus's DNA. Um, Jay, what did you think of that passage? I know we didn't even really study it beforehand. Yeah, I mean, I, it's consistent with Jesus's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount where mm. he repeatedly makes the point, like, you have heard it said. Mm-hmm. You have heard it said. And he's, in that, in those instances, again, he's calling upon the traditions of the Pharisees that kind of have warped, like, the Ten Commandments in a lot of cases in the Sermon on the Mount, where, again, even in this passage, right, the idea of honor your father or mother is something that, the legal scholars of the day, the Pharisees, would have known, you know, that, that's obviously a prominent scripture they would have known. But again, he is very, almost like a, a surgeon, right? He's very like incisive and in that he, he's like, okay, like, you know, here, there is, here's a nugget of truth, right? But you guys have added all this extra fat to it, right? Um, yeah. That is of your own doing, right? And is dishonest and is... Uh, not faithful to the not faithful to the text. So yeah, and I think it's interesting that the first half certainly indicates that the problem is contradiction, right? That hey, you've you've taken this tradition and it actually contradicts 
um, the word of God. But the second part, the quote from Isaiah, the problem is not specifically that they contradict, but merely that they're teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That the problem isn't – so, I mean, Protestants holding sola scriptura, we're going to have a problem with somebody who teaches heresy, right? We're, we're going to say, hey, that's against the Bible. That's contradictory. It doesn't matter who you are as a Christian. You should probably oppose – you should certainly oppose heresy. But we would say that Catholics or or even – we're going to see, I think, Jay, that, that this does not – this is not a Catholic bashing doctrine it's a self it, it's addressed to everyone yeah but we're going to see that 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 the one of the major problems was simply that you were teaching doctrine uh but that doctrine consisted of man's commandments not the word of god which has been authenticated in the bible uh so i actually really love this passage as a defense and not only as a defense but as a kind of a a safety railing as keeping you and saying like the doctrines of men can never be commandments. I mean, the commandments of men can never be doctrine. They, they can help explain. They can help elucidate. They can interpret. They can aid, but they cannot be doctrine. So I, I think that's a helpful passage. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I I think that uh, it says in Revelation twenty two eighteen and nineteen, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. Mm. So yeah, I think that dovetails ni- nicely with what you're saying in that addition and subtraction from the Bible at the whims of our human desires is consequences for punishment from God, right? Yeah. Like, which again, shows you the gravity of what the Bible says. Yeah. And I think Luther pinpointed that he makes an argument in one of his earlier works. Uh, I know I keep coming back to Luther, but we're talking about reformers and he is the OG. Um, but he made an argument that the Catholic church switched their definition of tradition uh, in 1300, in the 1300s. He argued that Earlier, it did refer to an infallible interpretation of scripture, but then after 1300, and he's right, by the way, I mean, you can see the proof, it began to refer to an infallible declaration, a commandment of men. So the Pope declared uh, before they had biblical evidence that purgatory was a thing, declared that indulgences were a thing. Of course, they later scrounged up some biblical evidence. Uh, part of that was including the Apocrypha. But Luther argues this, is that, yeah, one of the problems is that they're making declarations. They're adding to the word of God. They're not merely interpreting it. Um, there's another passage, and maybe the last one we have time for. Uh, this is, I don't know if we talked about this before, but this is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. I think it's just, it's excellent. Um, Because another, and I I know that we keep getting on the Catholic thing, but man, the souls are really woven in with the history of the Catholic Church. And unfortunately, I don't think the Catholic Church has moved as much as some of us would like to have thought. Um, But one Catholic refutation I read, I actually listened to, 
argued that the Bible is very clear that Paul had an oral tradition, right? He went and taught the churches, and those were to be seen as as just as authoritative as his words. I mean, his uh, the word of God that he wrote. Acts 17.11, again, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, it's founded many a name of an organization, I'll tell you that, uh, is now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. That's the word that Paul but orally gave them as tradition, right? Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So Paul, again, remember, I, I like to refer to soul scripture as the as teaching that the Bible is the final arbiter, meaning it is not decided upon, it decides. And so the word of God actually is the judge of Paul's words. And that's an incredible thing. That means Paul himself was not an inspired being. That means he was not an arbiter of truth. He wrote things that would judge him. I think that's, that's such an, an incredible uh, testimony to the power of the word and our ability to flee to it uh, to determine if things are so. I, I wish we were all Barians, which again is the name of like a thousand organizations uh, because of this verse. It echoes uh, what we talked about last week, even in that Nehemiah yeah. 8 passage, right? Where the Israelites... They cry out to bring the book, even though, yeah. uh, what's the guy's name? Ezra. Ezra is someone that they know has studied the law. Yeah. It's been his whole life's work, right? But they, what do they say? They say, bring the book. We don't care how much you know. Teach us the law. Teach us God's word. And then, of course, the visceral reaction that uh, it's, yeah. it stirs in them. So I think even that just goes to show the the power of God's word that it alone can change hearts, yeah. shape lives. And if you say, well, that's in the Old Testament, first off, listen to our Old Testament necessary you. podcast. <laughs> it's just, I think you're, you're too back. You just got to listen. Um, but I'll give you a New Testament that I, I came across this in uh, just some reading recently. And I was amazed because I was like, it's bring the book part two. It's 2 Timothy 4.2. Paul gives the instruction, preach the word. Preach In the word. out of season. Mm-hmm. Bring the book and preach the word. That's exactly it. Jay, let's move on. We've been talking about some objections for a while, but I feel like there, there's some really important ones to address. And they're not just specific to Catholics. I think that this is an these are arguments that anyone might make. Especially, I'd love to start with you talking about circular reasoning, but can you tell us a little bit about uh, kind of some of the things that got you interested in this topic, uh, just as a, a precursor to maybe a podcast in the future? Well, um, in my research today, I was perusing the internet. I think I just typed in something, Zola Scriptura, maybe something, additional phrase in there. But this, again, classic uh catholic answers or some kind of catholic apologetics yeah resource came up and this guy was refuting the doctrine of sola scriptura and you know he said it's it doesn't make sense because 
the, the, the nature of his argument is that if the Bible is the only source of Christian truth, we can't have such knowledge because the Bible doesn't tell us which books are inspired. So he's saying that, you know, if the Bible is the only place we can get truth, then the Bible should tell us which parts of the Bible are true. Yeah. And he says the only way that to avoid that, to avoid this lack of knowledge, because the Bible isn't clear in his eyes, the only way to avoid it is to appeal to an infallible church established by Christ to tell us which books are inspired. So, and again, he, the argument ultimately comes to the idea that sola scriptura is circular reasoning because we say the Bible is infallible, which prompts the question, well, why? To which we say, because the Bible says so. Oh, it's circular reasoning, right? And that's, uh, it's wrong. It's an error at best. And at worst, it's disingenuous because when we talk about ultimate standards, which in this case we are, an ultimate standard is by nature self-attesting or self-confirming or whatever, however you want to like it. Because we all have to start at a foundation of something, right? Some people, they appeal to reason, right? If it doesn't make sense, if it's not logical, then that's their ultimate standard. But, you know, the laws of logic, no one says, well, you know, the, the laws of logic are self, that's circular reasoning. Well, again, everything could fundamentally be called circular reasoning when you get to an ultimate standard. So I think it's a poor argument. And so in this case, we say the Bible is the word of God. And so that is what we will use as our foundation for knowledge. Yeah, I think that that's really helpful. It it, it reminds me of Hebrews where uh, he says, uh, and God swore by himself for there's no one higher to swear by. Uh, you know, and it, it gets into that kind of role where it, things get really different. Logic gets very precise and particular when you're dealing with something that is infinite and final i mean it it really you cannot apply uh some of the the logical fallacy rules that you would apply to other things circular reasoning does not stick on something that is final uh again going back to that illustration that i like of final arbiter it judges you you don't get to judge it and and i think jay i I would like to move on unless you have a point on objections do you I have a little. I have just another little tidbit here, right? Because yeah, go for again, it. Again, some people similarly they just say that well, it's just an old book, right? It's just like a really old book, and so like what makes you, what makes you say that this book is the inspired word of God? Like, how do you know? Well, the Christian claim is that it's God's word. So the Bible, even though it's written by human authors over 1500 years and all sorts of different circumstances. It is inspired by an all knowing sovereign, eternal God. So he can sustain it's, it's well within his capabilities to sustain and preserve that word over the long arc of human history through seemingly quote unquote, primitive humans or primitive people. So 
fundamentally as Christians, like this is something that we should own, right? We shouldn't, we yeah. shouldn't cower and be like, well, you know, I don't have all the evidences memorized. Like when we say that we believe it's God's word, then it doesn't need any archaeological evidence. Like it's our ultimate standard. Yeah. Uh, by what standard, right? If you're a Southern Baptist, you might be familiar with that saying, but getting at the same thing. Uh, Jay, I would like to move on now to applications. I, Because I remember us having this conversation right when we started talking about Sola Scripture. You said, I don't know if we're going to be able to meet our, our expected, like our normal minute mark. I said, oh, I think you might be un, uh, underestimating it. And, and the point that I pointed you to was this said, this is where there's a lot to talk about in Sola Scripture. And it that is application of this doctrine, because there's a really good application that everyone should be like really in, enjoying and benefiting from. And there's some really bad application going on. Uh, so Jay, let's, let's talk about that for a little bit, shall we? Yeah. Uh, I guess I will let you perhaps introduce the point. Because I think we're going to start with maybe the bad stuff and trend toward the good. That's that's optimistic of us. Yeah, I like that. Let's go towards the good. Uh, Jay, why don't we start with the first thing, which it, I think here. So, OK, I told you about I watched a YouTube video uh, where a, a young lady. I shouldn't say young lady. It makes me sound like I'm like 50. She's probably my age. She's probably our age. Uh, she was a Protestant converted to Catholic gave 10 reasons why Sola Scriptura is false, cannot be held. It's just it's wrong. And I'm, I'm looking at my written notes of her 10 right now, and I can say one, two, three, four. Four out of 10 can be summed up by one phrase, private interpretation. Does this does Sola Scriptura give us license, in her words, to privately interpret the text, causing division, and make Christianity relative? If everyone gets their shot at interpreting the Bible, the Bible no longer becomes true, it becomes relative. There is a term that people think sounds really good, Jay, called biblicism. Ooh. And while it may sound s- sweet to the taste, it is bitter in the stomach. Biblicism is actually a pejorative and like it's a term for something we think is bad, not good. Uh, and yet I'm going to describe it and tell me if you immediately think of thousands of Christians you've met. Biblicism is the idea that all that is needed for interpretation is you, the spirit in the Bible and to rely on church history, to rely on confessions, to rely on pastors, to rely on other people, is to, to muddy the waters. You just need yourself, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. That is the teaching of Biblicism. Did you immediately think of a billion people you've met? Yes, um, unfortunately. Um, but it... I mean, I've been counted among the ranks, by the way. Yeah, I mean... Again, obviously, it should be noted that, yeah, I, I am guilty of this many times yeah. over myself. But, yeah, I mean, it, it seems to be intuitive, to, right? I think something about it is very much like, oh, like, all I need is the Bible. Yeah, God, God's powerful and 
God just going to speak to me and I'm just going to know it and I'm going to get it. And it just can make sense. And because it's God telling me that, like other people can't tell me I'm wrong. Like they're they're arguing with God. And I have heard that argument against me before is, hey, man, you're arguing with what God told me. Uh, Jay, it's funny in, in relating to this. Somebody once told me that the best advice I ever gave them, and apparently it got used. I never thought giving this advice it would ever be used. Uh, I told them, never trust a commentary or a translation of the Bible that is written by one author with no editors and no one else around. And they said, that is the best advice you've ever given me. Uh, And apparently, it's funny, I actually we both got a Bible translation from one person uh, that year. And to me, that is one of the great dangers is we are not supposed to interpret by ourselves. We are not supposed to uh, develop our unique theologies that no one can touch because it's God speaking through the word to establish a word to us individually. Illicism is Honestly, I think you're right on. It sounds normal because we're supposed to do our devotions by ourselves, right, Jay? Yeah, quiet time. Just being yeah, quiet time, right? Devotions, meeting with the Lord, whatever you want to call it. That's you, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit, right? So what's the danger? Am I supposed to always have a commentary with me? Probably not. Am I not supposed um, to read my Bible myself? I guess you, yes, you, you should, you should. That's what is so tricky with Biblicism is because we're not talking about, Hey, you can't read your Bible by yourself. You have to go to church and read it together. We're talking about the best interpretations come in community. The best teaching comes in community. Uh, You need people to do theology with you. Uh, I was actually recently, Jay, I just finished this book today. You can look at it, but obviously listeners can so only listen to me showing it. Before you open your Bible. Yeah, it's Matt Smethurst, who is, uh, he's the managing editor of the Gospel Coalition. And by the way, I would recommend it. Uh, one of our friends mentioned that I should, and Jay and I should uh, recommend books more often on here. So maybe I'll try to do that. But it was nine approaches, right? So prayerfully, humbly, desperately, studiously, obediently, joyfully, expectantly, and communally, right? And that was the eighth one. The last one was Christocentrically, which is awesome. But uh, here's what he says. God's design for the church includes pastors and elders who are meant, among other things, to help you better understand and apply the word of God. So that's towards pastors. Um, he says, here's what I think is really helpful. When it comes to understanding and implying scripture, however, no one lives up to that description, which is she can do it all. Uh, He's describing athletes, right? Athletes who we call the complete package, who have it all. He says, no one lives up to that description. Uh, It's imperative, therefore, that we approach scripture alongside others in the context of a diverse community. Otherwise, our experiences will limit us, our preferences will govern us, and our biases will blind us. So, Jay, I think, how do we sum up Biblicism? It's our experiences will limit us, our preferences will govern us, and our biases will blind us. I think that's a great illustration of why we need people. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Biblicism is a great danger to the church today. 
Yeah, again, it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure with the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or the Bible Mad Libs, if you will, uh, which is maybe not good. Not good. Not maybe. <laughs> maybe not good? Definitely not good. Anyway, Have anything to confess? <laughs> uh, but Yeah, and I th- – go ahead. No, I guess I was just going to say like we – I mean it's almost like like in science, right? You talk, You hear about – peer-reviewed studies because mm-hmm. everyone has their biases and often their biases because we can't see them. They're unacknowledged. They're hard for us to notice. So only by having multiple different people look at it, then you can even out each other's biases to get the clearest uh, interpretation that one in this case that is truest to the text. And Jay, can I give you something that I think you might not expect, but once I say it, you'll definitely recognize it? Uh, you know who regularly receives criticism of breaching sola scriptura? Calvinists. Why? Because what's in a name? Calvin. So mm. it is, how dare you allow a historical figure to play into your interpretation of the Bible? And we would say, I am trying not to let my biases govern me. I am expanding. And of course, the fun thing is that Calvinists, are not rooted in Calvin, they're rooted in scripture. Many of us, uh, me certainly included, actually had been Calvinist for like three years before I ever read Calvin. He's not the progenitor of all of these things. But that's actually another place where this plays in is people argue anybody who seems to align themselves with a historical figure, even reformed people with the Reformation, are accused of denying sola scriptura, but what we would say is that's actually biblicism, the idea that you can do it all by yourself and you can't. I think James, I was yeah, gonna go say ahead. I think it's James White that says theologically, when it comes to doctrine, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm, in that yeah, absolutely. When you look at you know early church history, right, there there's evidence of you know, there's definitely the teachings that are consistent with like the Trinity and things like that. But just yeah. over time, the church has worked through some of these doctrine issues to yeah. make them abundantly clear. Like, um, is it Augustine that was one of the first to outline the idea of like justification by faith alone? Anselm. Anselm. Uh, okay. Well, not justification by faith alone. Maybe I, I'm doing more anselm was the guy who outlined uh penal substitutionary atonement sorry so that's not it and augustine certainly did contribute but still i guess this the idea that again things like that that are like bread and butter things that we teach to people when we're like leading them to christ the idea like you can't earn it right like things like that like haven't always been so clear and so the idea again like you have to rely upon others right especially those that again i would say always maybe an important thing to note is always going back to scripture to be a berean right to make sure that whatever you're hearing is comports with the scriptures but and that's the amazing thing about sola scriptura is that yes it's an argument against biblicism but it's also an argument for the final authority of scripture so we're not saying that the people in church history, the people in your church determine what's true. We're saying they are going to help you to understand what the Bible says is true, uh, which is a very important distinction, right? It's not biblicism and it's also not uh, relativism. It's this idea that 
we gather together and we make each other better exegetes of the scripture. Um, and I got to say, just on the church history point, no offense to my systematic theology professor, I'm a big fan of, of Dr. Keithley, but I took church history one and two and systematic theology one and two in the same semesters, and I learned more theology from church history one and two. I learned more about the Trinity in my church history one class than I've ever learned about the Trinity in my entire life as a Christian. I was basically born in the church. I learned more about the doctrine of Jesus Christ in my church history one class than I learned it maybe in my entire life as a Christian, maybe. So, I mean, I, I think that this is a challenge, Jay, and I think that you'll find this maybe challenging. I find it very hard to understand, not understand, but to act out is for us who do read a lot of Christian books, that means that they are there to help us understand the scriptures and therefore they must always constantly be compared to the scriptures. I know that I'm I'm guilty of this, that I take their word for it way too often. You know, I'll be reading a book on who knows. I mean, I'm reading a book right now on the son of God motif in the scriptures by uh, Graham Goldsworthy. And how often am I tempted to not check that fact or not to really process and think, okay, he is saying this about the entirety of the biblical text. Is this there? Is this true? So we don't ad- we don't advocate for a biblicism where it's just you and the Bible, but we advocate for the Bible as something that we actually apply as the final judge to everything. Um, but we spend a lot of time on biblicism, but I think honestly it might even warrant a podcast in the future. By the way, we don't make it through an entire podcast without saying those words. So there it is, one per episode. Um, Jay, there's a few other uh, bad applications that I can think of. And one I think is very poignant. And honestly, I don't even like saying it because I, I know that I'm guilty of it. And that is the idea that it that you have the right. So we would advocate, as Baptists, certainly, this is actually one of the tenets of the Baptist uh, confession, is that you have the right to interpret the scriptures. But here's what you don't have. You do not have the right to interpret the scriptures wrong. You don't. You don't have that right. It's not okay. It's not acceptable. It's not a necessary evil. It's not something that, oh, we're all messed up humans. It's not just messy. It is wrong and evil to misinterpret the scriptures. Uh, We're not going to get it all right, of course. But solo scripture is not the testimony of it's okay. Yeah, we're not going to all get it, but that's all right. It is the testimony you have the you do not have the right to be wrong. Jay, you have any thoughts on that? I, I just threw that out there. Yeah, that's pretty stiff. Uh, <sighs> I know. Again, I think about even my own past, right? Where like sometimes in my in my younger days, it was like, well, like how can I like say something in Bible study that just like maybe isn't like the consensus? Like I just want to say something that's like yeah. a different perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Just to sound like I'm erudite and you don't uh, want to be the devil's advocate in Bible study. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a bad place for that. Yeah. So, um, but no, I think you're right. I mean, it, it, one, I think saying things like that though is important because it, it, it just comes one, it, it sets an appropriate tone, right? It, it shows you yeah. the gravity of the situation and it just does help you kind of, 
if, if you don't do this already, like really come to grips with just how sinful you are, mm. um, whether you do things intentionally or, or not. So again, just the idea that, again, we're, we're, we're flawed. And just because we are flawed doesn't mean it's like, okay. Okay, Jay, I've got a question for you and yeah. it relates to my last bad one. So that might help you uh, answer well. <laughs> uh, scripture alone says is the word the word alone is clearly there jay does that mean that my only authority is the bible does that mean that that i have as my authority scripture alone well it's funny you say that because the bible has a thing or two to say about authority Mm. for interesting yeah so um you know, things, things like your church, like you are to submit to the authority of the church leadership within the family, right? There's a hierarchy, there's submission, it says wives submit to your husbands, right? Children are supposed to obey their parents. Um, within the government, you're supposed to submit to the governing authorities. So there, the scripture itself delegates authority. I mean, the Bible talks about how like the, the government rightly fulfilled is meant to bring kind of be the sword right for transgressors of right and wrong so there is there are instances that yes you are accountable to other authorities besides the bible bible is an ultimate authority but again it it also does some delegation in in those (laughs) words yeah. And I think that that's an important thing is that because I, I was the reason I bring this up is because when I was thinking about, man, why does biblicism get it so wrong? I realized most of the problems we have with this doctrine is the word alone is we view it as, oh, OK, so we make it answer different questions. Right. So here's a question. Um, what is needed to rightly interpret the text? Scripture alone. And so that means you have you as the infallible, right? That makes you the authority. Um, or uh, what is need? What is the only authority over Christian's life? Scripture alone, right? So the alone is actually a problem. And I think we're going to see this when we come to faith too, is that scripture's alone and yet it's never alone. <laughs> like scripture is the arbiter, right? The final judge over other things that are also judges over you. So I can disobey my parents when they disobey the word. But I cannot disobey my parents because I obey them, as Paul says in Ephesians, in the Lord. They command me in the Lord, uh, meaning that their commandments have the authority of the Lord behind them. Uh, or, you know, the government, right? I obey it. But if it said it is now illegal to be a Christian, guess who's going to be an illegal Christian? Me. Because I will not bow to the government because it's in violation of the scriptures. Uh, so I think that's a that's an important one to bring up too. It's like this does not mean that you don't have to listen to your husband or pastor, your church body, right? Church discipline. What if you said, I don't interpret the Bible that way? And your church says, you are under discipline because you are in sin. You have other authorities uh, in, in their submission to the Bible. 
but Jay, we've talked about bad stuff. I like to leave on a positive note. What are some good? What? How do you apply this in your life? What is this? What does solo scripture look like when it grows legs and it starts walking around? It's it's almost freeing in a sense, right? Because you 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 have a, a foundation, right? I, I I think about so many people out in the world that I know that are the types of folks that just, well, I don't know what's out there. I don't know if there's a higher power. Like what a glorious truth, right? That we have a God that has spoken and has spoken clearly on who he is, what our relationship is to him and has provided the means for us to get back in his good graces, if you will. Um, so again, it's, again, it's, it's, it's foundational to our faith. It's a, a truth that is timeless. I think that's a great point, Jay. Um, I think I would say that, that can I, can I, okay, I'm going to let a hobby horse out of the hobby stable here. Uh, pardon my, my expression. I love it so much. Thank you, Will, for giving it to me. This is going to be a little bit controversial, I think, Jay, so buckle up. But I'm gonna, you should be worried by how many caveats are coming first. Like, are you concerned yet? Like, Because well, I have another one coming. It's, Ready? it's clearly not that controversial if you guys caveats. That's true. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, the third caveat is I know I'm a seminary student, and so you might ha- view me in a weird light if you're listening. Like, oh, like he just has high expectations or something. But – Okay, here it is. I am kind of alarmed how many Christians are going to go through their entire life without ever reading a book on interpreting the Bible. That sounds like I'm putting this crazy standard like, oh, come on, that's for pastors. That's for academics, right? Like, I'm just reading my Bible. But I'm alarmed how many people, again, you have the, you have the right. You do not have the right to be wrong but you have the responsibility to interpret the Bible rightly. Why in the world would you never seek, never try and develop that skill? Again, I I don't know. Maybe I'm a seminary student and that's just something that we do. Who knows? But it does. It, It alarms me. How many Christians who view the more academic or the nonfiction or the not accessible Christian books, like the ones on biblical theology, on systematic theology, the ones on hermeneutics, the ones that are are really trying to teach you the word of God and how to interpret it. And they say, that's not for me. Oh, it is for you. Uh, And so, I mean, I think that's one of the applications is use every resource. That's part of community. That's part of communal uh communally doing theology is using the resources of godly men who have written great books uh and of course jay and i were big fans of books we like books quite a lot um but i think that that is a that is a application we could make i mean yes listen to your pastor or do theology together but why in the world have you not uh honed your craft this is the primary craft that you have is is interpreting the word and obeying it Jay, was that scary or controversial? No, I think it's it's if nothing else, it's convicting. Um, I think you're absolutely right, though. I mean, when we talk about as Christians that oh, like the Bible is my ultimate authority, or the Bible is yeah. 
God's word, the God, the Bible is my guidebook to life or a lamp into my feet and light into my path. Mm. The idea that you would go to your job and like never seek to improve a skill that you do at mm. your job by, you know, taking a class or having someone that's done the job longer than you for help or, yeah. you know, buying nicer equipment or something like that would be kind of silly. I think that, yeah. you know, uh, you would intentionally leave yourself handicapped or like not make a, an effort to improve. Um, especially, you know, in this case where in the internet era, like there are tons of free resources that I know yeah. a lot of faithful ministries go to great lengths so that they can make them free and accessible to whoever might stumble up across your website. Yeah. Um, and maybe I was just going to ask if you had maybe a book in particular in mind as you. Yeah. I, I give think these that, people the, the charge. Yeah. I think the ones I mentioned for the Bible expo uh, podcast, right. Grasping God's word for the love of God's word. Uh, what was the other one? I forget. It was Hendrickson's book. Um, living by the book, right? I think mm -hmm. those are all three really good. But man, I think I view this as much more than just learning hermeneutics, though. Yeah, certainly be learning hermeneutics. Um, I'll, I'll do you one better. Instead of a resource, this is actually maybe not one better, but maybe a cop out. I already gave three books, but pursue this kind of education in your church. Pursue those who, Jay, I actually was really struck by you talking about in your illustration of a, a man who goes to his job, him seeking someone who's been there longer, go to your pastor and say, teach me to read the Bible better. Go to your, your mentor and say, teach me to read the Bible better. Say, yes, I, I, want, I want you to keep instructing me on how to be obedient to God. I want you to keep instructing me on what prayer is. Go to anyone and just say, I want all those things, but teach me to read the Bible better. Like that is the attitude that I was personally struck recently in considering what a small group Bible study should look like when someone told me it should not be so much a teacher explaining the word of God. And it certainly, as Jay and I will attest, should not be what does this mean to each one of you in your individual meanings. But you know what it should be? It should be, all right, we're gathered together so we can learn not we so that not main or main ugh, I'm getting tied up in my words, not for the primary purpose of studying the Bible, but two primary purposes, studying the Bible and learning to study the Bible better. So I, I would just plea with you. Yes. Read books. Um, I've got a few on my shelf that I'm looking at that are, are helpful. Um, I think those three that I mentioned, man, those really are our top quality. I really have enjoyed those three. But pursue this in your church. And I mean, I think also like things like, I mean, even like study Bibles that will yeah. give you the little annotations that point to, you know, where, where the scripture is being quoted from, like, you know, Old Testament quotes in the New Testament or just like parallel passages and things like that. Like I know mine is full of that stuff where every couple of words, it's just like a little letter and it's like, yeah. oh, this goes to here, to here. And just because... We, I don't think we mentioned this, but like the ultimate hermeneutic is the fact that scripture interprets scripture. Absolutely. And using what the Bible has 
to say about a certain topic and use that to to approach maybe an un an un understood a, a passage that you do not understand <laughs> misunderstood um, misunderstood <laughs> yes um or even i think also john piper does the look at the book oh those are great that's a great resource on youtube that, where yeah. he has i and it's like almost like he's got like his ipad right and he shows like, he breaks down a, a verse or a passage and you can just see through his actions how he yeah. studies the bible right he's like oh well this word talks about this and then that word talks about that and he uses the same phrase here and that's important and um so yeah just again you leveraging all that's out there um it's easy if it's easy to find something if you'll do it if you'll do it yeah um and on the subject of commentaries i would i want to recommend a series and can i tell you what i what i think is really suitable to the layperson who's not preparing a sermon every week i think saying okay for this period of time i'm going to be reading this book of the bible even if it's in your like you read the Bible in a year thing, like say like, okay, I'll be reading this book of the Bible. I would like to go very intentionally through it buy a commentary for that and just go through it. I actually think I mentioned all this in my ex in the expo podcast. I forget that I did, but if I did, or if I didn't, I, I mean, I it's really think like again. this is something that you can do easily. Commentaries are not for pastors. They're not for academics for anybody who wants to know the word better uh and ask your pastor what commentaries he recommends uh bestcommentaries.com is great i would recommend for for anybody of any age and any uh education level uh i would recommend the christ-centered exposition commentaries not because my president's the the editor um though i mean that that has given me access to quite a few of them the president of your seminary should be noted yes not Donald Trump. <laughs> Danny Aiken, David Platt, and Tony Morita are the three editors for this series, and they're so accessible. They're so good, and they're they're almost based off of a sermon that they each have preached on each one of these passages, and so they're really good. So I'd recommend those. Jay, we are probably a little bit over the normal time, but I think you have any imparting wisdom or um. parting wisdom to impart? <laughs> Sola Scriptura, live by it. I guess that's that's about it. Um, yeah, let the scriptures be your final arbiter. Just wanted to remind you guys that this podcast, pristine production quality, comes courtesy of Mr. Alex Kenny, Josh's former roommate and a good friend of mine as well. The man. We appreciate him doing this for us. And just as a reminder to you all that this is something that he kind of does as his career. And so um, if you guys have a similar podcast or any kind of like video thing that you're working on, he does video editing as well. um, We would recommend him um, as someone that does their job well and is a faithful brother in Christ. So check him out. Just a little little shout out to him. He recently, it wasn't viral, I don't think, but it got put on on several like Facebook posts is his church did one of those things where it was like the band and all the choir were like separated, but then the videos got melded together and it took him a long time, but it looks amazing. Uh, And it actually got put on, on several like Christian audio or whatever Facebook pages. So good job, Alex. We love you, man. 
and thank you for making us sound less bad. <laughs> All right, well then we will see you next time, or I guess we won't see you and you won't see us. You will hear our voices next time <laughs> on the Thoughtful Christianity Podcast. Thanks for listening.